0: Back to throw again, throws one over the middle, it's ticked, and it's intercepted! C.J. Mosley's got it, runs right to the 10-5, touchdown! Jones, that's a takeaway by Bradley McDougall. And he is in for a Jets, touchdown! That's over the middle, in the air, picked off! Brian Poole, to the end zone, touchdown! There goes Donald. and Bill.
1: <laughs> He's doing it all for the Jets. Welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. I'm here, host, Ben Blessington with Michael Nanny as the co-host. Uh, we figured we might as well just hop into it and do a mailbag as training camp is underway uh, a few days now since the Jamal Adams trade, so the dust has settled. So we have a few questions about that. I uh, actually got a lot of questions, so thank you to everybody who submitted them. Uh, questions about that, the, the uh, draft capital that Joe Douglas has, training camp, uh, so plenty, plenty of questions to go through. Uh, before we get to Michael and those questions, you can follow us at CyjPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael_Nania. You can find this podcast at JetsXFactor.com, which is, uh, in my belief, the the best Jets website out there. I think it's far and away. Um, if if you're a, consider yourself a dire Jets fan, just check it out. Try a free trial. Um, I've really been going through the website the last few days, and I'm I'm thoroughly impressed with the job that that Robbie, Michael, uh, Joe, all the guys that that contribute there have done. So. Make sure you check that out at JetsXFactor.com. Michael, how you doing, man? I mean, it's a few days since the Jamal Adams emergency pod. I know you were at first pretty against trading, uh, Jamal, but we got a good capital. We we broke this all down. So have you recovered um, as the adrenaline now passed and and how you doing in general?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm feeling good now. Now that all this drama has passed, we got a good package Uh, and we can move on. It's kind of like the bridge. Uh, This is like the bridge into a new era. You know, it's like, this is, uh, this is what officially launches us into the Joe Douglas era, kind of moving on from Adams and all the drama associated with him and also getting some picks uh, that can really help Douglas establish the future. So it feels good. Camp is here. We're getting some clips of players at the facility, uh, a lot of them with masks on. I couldn't recognize them in that one video that they posted, but we'll get there still lots of time. But uh, a lot of good questions in this mailbag to get to, so I'm really looking forward. answering some of these but uh we're getting we're getting there less than i believe i believe 45 days from when we're recording this to the season opener so hopefully things go pretty smoothly don't don't get
1: ahead of yourself it's probably gonna take me about two or three weeks to upload this podcast so you can you can shorten that (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding we actually do plan um michael and i were having a talk about this yesterday and we we do plan to because i mean the way we've run this podcast recently has just been kind of, you know, uploading when we have something that we want to do and just kind of whenever we want, but we realize, and we've been getting a ton of listens recently and so we kind of want to capitalize on that. And so uh, our plan is to, to release, you know, multiple episodes a week and just kind of always have new content out there. And if you're, you know, going, uh, you know, for a drive or you're going to travel or you're, you're working out, you can always find a new cool your jets podcast, but yes, Michael, th- this podcast will be up uh, ready for t- tomorrow morning. So I guess you could say 45.
0: Yeah, so you know, hopefully, and that's on you. So if, if it's not, you can you can blame Ben. That's not well, my responsibility.
1: Last, I, don't, I mean, there. Then I came up
0: with that great intro with McDougal too. Uh, so that's on that, me. Uh, okay, I mean. Joint actually, then no, that was all you know to think about. It. That was funny. I mean,
1: I, I honestly didn't even want to. Although, talk you about put it. it
0: together and you, you you made it sound good, it's a little bit loud. We'll probably go it this that's time. The
1: but... humor <laughs> in it is it's, it, it's all muted, and then it's Bradley McDoo. I think we're just going to stick with it. I was originally planning to just use it for the Jamal Adams pod, but I think maybe we should. I
0: think we should stick with it, it kind of, is symbolic of this season.
1: It, it's definitely, uh, uh, and it's an iconic video, honestly. It, it did pretty well on, on Twitter. Um, you touched on something really quickly before you get to the mailbag, kind of the, it's kicking off a new era, this Jamal Adams trade. And I was thinking about it and, and you can go back further than this, but 2013 after the 2012 season, after the butt fumble and Tebow or whatever, the jets hit the reset button um, and traded Darrell Revis, had the extra first round pick uh, and they drafted their quarterback. They, they had two first round picks that year. That was the start of an era for them. Then the, the next year they had 12 picks. That was the Idzik era. And for the, by and large, he, he it's a like whiffed on all those picks. Sheldon Richardson was actually a fairly good pick, but he didn't last long here. So after 2013 and 2014, they hit the X on that and rebuild, and Mac McCagney comes in in 2015, uh, and in one year, which arguably wasn't the smartest strategy, but he goes in and brings all these veterans in, um, and you know, kind of a band aid, and the Jets succeed. They try to do it again in 2016 doesn't work because so they blow it up. So then 2017 is kind of the last era that I think we've been kind of living off of because 2017 was when they blew it up. We had a season with McCown at quarterback, which I honestly, looking back on, I don't know how we survived having like a 39-year-old bridge quarterback a whole season. Like, even though people's expectations for this year are you know, low, considering which Jets fan you talk to, especially after this trade, I'm still excited for the season because we get to watch Sam Darnold. But I can't, I, I can't even remember how I was feeling going into 2017. Like, I get to watch Josh McCown. Um, but that was kind of the, the kickoff to that last era because it was, uh, 2017 Mac picks with Jamal Adams and then 2018, you get Darnold. And then this last off season was supposed to be the year where you put it together and you put all that money and pe- draft picks into building around him, Mike Kagan, big swing and miss. Uh, and then that resulted in a bumpy 2019 season. So Joe Douglas hits the reset button on it this off season and by trading Jamal Adams, it in addition to the offseason that he's had, this is definitely year one of, of the rebuild is what I would say is, I mean, that's pretty clear, but I, I'll put it this way. This one has started off uh, on a lot better foot. I mean, just looking at the value he got for Jamal Adams, obviously it was a different situation with Darrell Revis, who was coming off an ACL injury and wasn't as young and, and wanted a bigger contract and whatnot. Um, but, I mean, the fact that he got more for Jamal Adams than it got for Darrell Revis, and, and I love the value he got in his draft class. And, we, I mean, we've praised Douglas effusely enough, and now it's time to see it on the field. But overall, I've been very impressed with with the Jets general manager after after one year. Um, and so of Jets fans. So, Michael, why don't, why don't we just hop into it um, and, and talk about um, some of the questions we got here. We'll, we'll get to plenty about Joe Douglas, but I guess we'll start. Uh, the NFL Top 100 was making, you know, rounds this week because i think i think they're releasing them all in one week or something um honestly i think that list is bogus i mean
0: i think josh yeah, allen- i really i really think they just make that i i don't think it's actually based on anything i think they just put it together so that we're talking about it right now as training right. camp is you can't tell me josh allen and kyler murray should be in the top 100 and not carson wentz matt ryan matt stafford even right. jared goff ryan right tannehill was
1: in the top 100 they ryan put tannehill Lamar-
0: is in there too they put Lamar at number one, and
1: I love Lamar, but, like, I mean, oh, if you would ask, 99% of NFL executives would take Patrick Mahomes over Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, uh, I don't really think that list is, is worthwhile, but at Jiu Jets... It does make fun conversations, though. So I guess that's true. And, I mean, we could have used it more in June when it was more the dead period of the offseason. Instead, they kind of just dumped it all on us now. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting conversation, but honestly... Yeah,
0: as long as you understand that it's just, you know, there for the the sake of debating and not to actually make these points. Cause we know Patrick Mahomes is far and away the most valuable player in the league. So it's just there for debates like, like the ones we're about to have. Yeah, exactly.
1: Pleasure. Uh, at you jets, uh, asked, uh, do you think there should have been, uh, any, some jets, except, uh, Jamal Adams, uh, in the top 100 players. He said, I think Crowder and pool should have been in it. Crowder had better stats than Fitzgerald and still didn't make it while well, Larry did. And pool is very solid last year too, as PFF grade can show it. Uh, yeah, I believe it wasn't he the top rated slot corner by PFF or something. I mean, Poole got some love, which uh, yeah. definitely deserved. If you, and we might get to this uh, with one of these later questions, uh, but if you are a member of JetX, you should go on to JetX and look up Robbie Sabo's article he did on um, Greg Williams and his adjustment uh, to the Tampa 2 that he ran for the second half of the season. And this is where he found all the success. And Brian Poole was the big X factor to that scheme. Um, so just go check that out on Jack's factor, a quick plug, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're, uh, it's tough for me to throw Brian pool in there, but I do think to the jets, I mean, he's, especially with Jamal Adams leaving, he's probably the most important player in our defense, uh, maybe CJ Mosley, but um, I don't know if he deserves top 100. And as we just said, like, this list isn't worth much. Sure. Would I rather have Jameson Crowder over Larry Fitzgerald? Yes. But Larry Fitzgerald's a legend, you know, yeah, I'm not we, surprised. We know
0: Fitzgerald's in there just because of, reputation and right. he's still solid but it's he's not a top 100 receivers Crowder is better than him for sure but I, I don't think Crowder is top 100 he's probably he's a top 10 slot receiver all of his numbers would point to that probably in that uh 5 to 10 range among pure slot receivers he's a very good player I don't think he's top 100 though I think Poole might have an argument for the low part of the list he allowed right. the fewest yards per cover snap out of the slot among cornerbacks last year uh, also was near the top of the league and uh, among cornerbacks and pressures tackles against the run uh, so he was really good last year uh, i think and you know the, the deal he got on the free agent market kind of goes against that um, right. i'm still curious as to what he he is due to regress just because uh, this last season was so far from his first three But I'm just so shocked he got that deal. But some of his production does suggest that he should easily be in the top 100. So he does have a good argument. Uh, I obviously don't expect him to have the recognition that would lead to him actually being on there. But in terms of whether he truly is a top 100 player, I think his numbers do point to him being in that low range. But other than Poole, I don't think there's anyone else. Uh, Mosley was in there actually going into 2019. If he were healthy, I think he would definitely be in there. Uh, so I think Mosley and Poole are the two who would have the best arguments for top 100.
1: Yeah, I agree. With a guy like Poole, uh, who's you know a slot corner, he obviously had a great season last year. But unless he does it year after year, probably two or three years of that same production he had, then he would sneak into the, the bottom half of the top 100. But uh, unless you're a quarterback, kind of one very good season doesn't get you in. Uh, you have to either be a quarterback like Ryan Tannehill and just have one very good season and get in, or if you're going to be a cornerback like Brian Poole, you have to have like, you know, seven interceptions and just ball out and get national yeah. recognition. But when you're on a bad team like the Jets and you're a slot corner and it's not like you compiled a ton of interceptions or anything, um, you know, it makes sense. Uh, and especially the contract he got was definitely reflective of, of, of that list. I mean, next year, though, you know, I think the hope would be that a guy like Sam Darnold could, could get in there. You know, let's—I don't want to be too speculative, but you know, guys like Le'Veon Bell. Um, hopefully, you know, Quinn and Williams could make a jump or something. But I agree with you. I think CJ will should be in it, as barring an injury, should be in it next year as well. And then you're just hoping for Darnold and anybody else who can step up. Um, at Marquise CBR1000, um, he said if Douglas is picking a new head coach, will he most likely be looking at Philly, Baltimore, Kansas City assistants? Um, there's another head coach question right after this. Uh, i mean look the jets best case scenario this year i know it's obvious but a lot of jets fans are cheering for adam Gase to to get fired and you know don't think he's the right leader for the team and look i mean he's given you plenty of evidence um that you know he struggles making adjustments jamal adams came at him for not being a leader whatever you want to believe about jamal adams and his offenses same, since paid Manning haven't really been that good but objectively for the jets uh if his job security relies on Sam Darnold, and our number one objective for the Jets this season is to have Sam Darnold break out and have a good year. And if that happens, Adam Gase is staying. The only way Adam Gase is getting fired is if Sam Darnold is bad or stays the same. Like, there's not a scenario that I can think of unless Sam Darnold gets injured for a few games or, you know, some other drama happens. But there's not a scenario I can think of, especially considering the friendship between Gase and Douglas, where Darnold balls out for 30 touchdowns and, you know, 12 interceptions like we all want to see. And Gase gets the ax. So these questions are kind of, you know, a pessimists uh, view, but I understand there are a lot of jets fans who are already sick of Gase did want him in the first place uh, and don't believe you can win. So I guess, Michael, I'll throw this over to you. I mean, uh, and the next one, I guess we can ask it as well, just because we can kind of answer these two at the same time at sports underscore fiend uh, asked if Gase gets fired after the season, who are you you guys' top three choices for a new head coach in in 2021? So Michael, I guess I'll throw it over to you. I mean, and I I know you said to me before the podcast, you haven't looked at any head coaching candidates, but do you think that that he'll be looking at some of the top rate organizations? Do you think he'll be looking at, you know, some of the relationships he has? Do you have any names in mind? Just it's early for this question, but you know, some, some Jets fans definitely think it's warranted. I don't blame him.
0: Well, first to go back to the first question regarding Gase. I like the point you made uh, about how Gase's job security is kind of connected uh, to the most important thing that we're looking at as fans and the most important thing for the future of this team and that's how well sam darnold plays this year what he shows you in terms of his future potential uh to be the franchise quarterback for this team those two things are really connected if sam darnold plays well then adam Gase is most likely going to stick around it's hard to imagine a scenario in which you get sam darnold playing well giving you the confidence that he is the guy uh, but something happens to where Gase gets fired because you look at this team and they have a decent defense at least. It can be a really good defense, but uh, it's most likely not going to be a bad one. So, if Sam Darnold plays well, the offense is probably going to play pretty well. Again, maybe not great, but it should be at least an okay offense, which coupled with that defense should be at least a decent team. It, seven to eight wins at the lowest, but potentially more than that. So, the bottom line is that if Sam Darnold plays well, this is probably going to be a decent team at least. And Adam Gase probably won't get fired if he has Sam Darnold playing really well and the Jets not being terrible because it just seems like his job is connected to Sam Darnold. That's why he was brought in, and that's what the organization is looking for him to bring to the team going forward. So uh, it's it's tough to picture a scenario. Maybe if the defense were terrible and the Jets could somehow win three or four games while Darnold plays well, maybe if that happened, uh, there would be something, uh, a chance Gase get fired with Darnold playing well, but I don't see a realistic situation where we get Darnold showing that he's a franchise quarterback, but Gase uh, not, Gase getting fired at the same time. So I'll be rooting for them both to play for, for them both to do well for Darnold to break out uh, and Adam Gase to show you that I don't think he'll be the guy long-term, but you know, if Sam Darnold plays well and the team plays well, uh, then maybe he does turn around. So I think just, Obviously, in a dream scenario, just because of what we've seen from Gase so far, uh, it seems like that there's a pretty strong chance he's not going to be the head coach to lead the Jets to a Super Bowl. Uh, So ideally, Darnold plays great, and you get rid of Gase and get a better head coach, but it just doesn't seem too realistic right? based on what you said about them two being connected. But uh, to look at candidates going forward, if Gase does get fired, uh, I think, and we've been talking about candidates a lot. You have a few a few more good ideas in terms of specific names in mind than I do. Uh, but uh, one you brought up is Dan Campbell, and you could go into him a little bit more. But uh, And really what he embodies is just bringing uh, a, a presence to the head coach position that's less about scheme proficiency and more about building a culture and being able to relate with players, being a good leader, things like that that Adam Gase uh, just clearly seems to not have. Uh, and it really just lines up with what Joe Douglas has been trying to build uh, in terms of culture, things like that. But uh, you have more, you know more about Campbell and some good candidates than I do.
1: Right. That was uh, a guy that, that I was really intrigued by during the 2018 cycle when Gase got the job. Uh, and I'll touch on him in a second because I, I think there is a way where we can still be confident that Sam is the guy but Gase gets fired. And that's pretty much for Sam to be still be inconsistent. If this year – the Jets still lose, you know, a lot of games, but you know, the Jets can lose and Donald can throw 300 yards and throw three TDs like that. Those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. So there could be some games where Donald has that and the Jets, you know, add losses to their total. And then there could be a few games, hopefully not as bad as the new England game where Donald, you know, shits the bed. Maybe it's a big primetime game against new England. Maybe it's, you know, just something, um, where the Jets drop the last three games of their season and they're in playoff contention. Like what happened to Gase in, in 20, uh, 18 I think yeah um there is a there is a scenario where Darnold doesn't have to shit the bed he can still be good and we can still be confident in him but Gase could get fired I think that if look again the best case scenario for you if you're a Jets fan is cheering for for Sam Darnold to light it up and the Jets keep Adam Gase I know a lot of Jets fans shudder at that because they just want him gone if you truly do just want Adam Gase gone that's the best case scenario is that they lose a lot of games where Darnold plays really well in uh You know, he can obviously have some great games to to still give you that hope and be like, you know, let's not blow this up just yet. Uh, and We have more on that in a bit with one of these questions. Um, And then, you know, maybe you'll have a few, three or four, three to five, I guess, just bad games. And maybe, you know, primetime spots against rivals with playoff implications. Anything to just add to the fact, like, you know, Adam Gase was unprepared. What were they doing? He didn't adjust. Anything like that that can put pressure on him but still, you know, Show that Sam Darnold is is the future. If that's what you're really cheering for, that would be the, the the one scenario. And and we touched on it in the Sam Darnold deep dive pod. If you want to check that out, that's also on Jets X Factor. Where the kind of the, the the conclusion I came to about Sam Darn- or about Adam Gase was, is that and Le'Veon Bell even and said it's you know the most complicated scheme that he's he's ever had to run. I think Adam Gase wants to beat his opponents with calculus. And where most NFL players and especially Sam Darnold would just be better with, with algebra. And I think when it was with Peyton Manning, who's probably the smartest quarterback in NFL history, it worked because Peyton's like, this guy's a genius. He knows exactly what, what I want to do. I mean, he's, he's, you know, uh, an amazing football mind or whatever, but when you have a guy like Sam Darnold, who is much better when he's just playing and not thinking uh, it, it doesn't really work. And a lot of guys are like that. You know, how many times have we seen more so on the defensive side of the ball have been like, you know, ex coach, you know, his system just allows me to, to, to play loose and free. And I don't have to think as much. And then you see him have a, you know, big breakout season or something. That would be the biggest concern with gaze is if Darnold can master this system or whatever, then I think you could see him have a big year. But if, it, if it's still just too complicated, too nuanced and not capitalizing enough on Darnold's strengths, which is just letting him play backyard football. Um, I think you could see a scenario where he has some inconsistent games, some great games some bad games in case gets fired. Um, That was kind of a long tangent, but going back to Dan Campbell. uh, Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, after Todd Bowles and after the defensive coaches that the Jets had, had, um, the consensus was, well, they have to hire an offensive guy. And I do necessarily agree with that, that in today's NFL offense is more important than defense. And if you hire a defensive head coach and let's say you bring in an offensive coordinator and Sam really gets along with him. This is kind of what happened to the the Falcons with uh, with uh, Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan. You have this defensive coach and you bring in this great offensive coordinator. He's doing wonders with your offense. Well, then he's just going to get poached and now your quarterbacks have to learn a new system. And Matt Ryan really hasn't been the same since Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan just went to a Super Bowl. You know, the same could theoretically work for defense, but in today's NFL, it does make more sense to, to hire an offensive guy. But Dan Campbell is a guy who does come from an offensive background. You may know Dan Campbell as the interim coach for the Dolphins, 2015 where he went five and seven don't really think of him like that because i think that already puts a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to him but he's a guy who's a natural leader uh, there's a great espn article written about him last year we can read where they talk about all the guys in that locker room want to run through a wall for him you know great motivator uh has studied uh, you know he knew he was too too raw when he was the interim head coach for the the uh, dolphin so he went and he's just been studying under sean Payton. he's his lead assistant uh, he handles, you know, team meetings and breakdowns and, and the running game. Um, just overall, he's a guy who would bring you to be a great leader. He would bring, uh, build a terrific staff. Uh, and he really fits the mold of Douglas trying to build the best culture in sports. Cause right now, I don't know if Adam Gase is the guy to lead the best culture in sports, but a guy like uh, Dan Campbell certainly is. And I do think that Joe Douglas is the right guy. Um, and going back to Adam Gase, I think Greg Williams fits that mold, but we haven't yet seen it from Adam Gase, but, I think, you know, you talked about it, how he kind of just delegates a lot of the uh, rah-rah stuff to, you know, either the positional guys or or Greg Williams. You don't. and if the Jets' offense is lighting it up and Adam Gates is just kind of the weird, you know, whiz kid, like Bill Belichick's not a big rah-rah guy. It just comes down to Adam Gates. Can Sam Darnold be productive? And in the bigger sense, can your offense be, you know, where football's heading? Can it, as Chris Johnson said, like, can it be a top 10 offense? If that's the case, any of that raw, raw stuff doesn't matter, you know, and Greg Williams can, can do that. And I, uh, uh, I think it was Mike Tannenbaum was the guy who, cause he worked with, with, uh, Adam. I know this is a long tangent, Michael. I'm getting back to you in a second, but Mike Tannenbaum worked with Adam Gase in Miami and he touched on how, uh you know the public perception may be that adam Gase doesn't make many friends or whatever in the locker room but he said he does a really good job you know away from the cameras one-on-one building relationships with players and that's where you see guys like frank gore and alshon jeffrey and demarius thomas etc like there are sure there are plenty of guys who don't love adam Gase, but there are plenty of guys who stick up for him including Peyton manning that was a long tangent but yeah uh dan campbell if you want to go more towards the offensive uh guru Eric Bieniemi is a guy who should have been a head coach probably two years ago at this point um, just leading the, the league's best offense. I mean, how much of that is Andy Reid? How much of is, a, is that Pat Mahomes? But the hope is that he could build a great staff and that he can be a great leader and then that offense can rub off on him because um, I think a lot of the stuff they run in KC, a lot of those RPOs uh, would, would fit Sam Arnold's strengths very well. So those are the two guys that I like. But look, that that process is months away and it's honestly a process that you I kind of don't want to see. I mean, part of me – yeah, I agree with you, Michael, that I don't right now at this moment believe Adam Gase is the guy, but as a Jets fan, I, you know, I don't want to get to that mindset right now. I want to just give Adam Gase another year, um, but if it doesn't go according to plan, Dan Campbell is definitely my number one guy. Love Eric Emmy as well, and then you any of the other guys who pop up in the coaching cycle. Michael, this question's for you. I I went on like maybe a five-minute tangent. You can probably go on a 15-minute saga about this next question. This comes from the at the Jet Ranger 2. What did at Michael Nania do to cope with the loss of the Jets' most valuable player from 2017 to 2019, Lackland Edwards? And by the way, I mean, he was a big part of the show, and we just completely ignored that he was kicked off the team and you remarried Braden Mann very quickly. So, like, Michael, you can go on and talk about Lackland Edwards uh, after that tangent.
0: Yeah, I think like like the way you said it, the way you put it's pretty good. I just went ahead and divorced him. Just I, I didn't even divorce him. I just left him completely. Just one day <laughs> I was there, one day I wasn't. You told him you were going to the store to get. Man, that's yeah, the way told, it is. you told Lack you are going to the store to get cigarettes, and then you never came back, and he's just sitting. And then he saw me on TV with Braden <laughs> Man. That's how it is, but but that's how it is with punters. Kind of, it's just like you fall in love with whoever it is. And then when he's gone, it's like, all right, he sucks. Brain man, he's the go. He's going to make 10 Pro Bowls. Uh, but really, that's where I think I am at. I'm at right now. I hope he, Edwards isn't signed yet, which is which is weird. I think he deserves to be on team. Hopefully he does. Uh, someone does pick him up. But brain man's my guy now. Man, myth, legend. I'm rooting for him. And, and look, I think objectively, realistically, not even joking now, I think he is better than Lachlan Edwards. I don't think Edwards was actually that good. The Jets... Whoa! Uh, production in the punning, the punning game was pretty good, but I think that he was carried by his coverage uh, and Brant well, Boyer being it. a genius. Definitely, definitely and I think it. Braden Mann can take them to legitimately elite status, number one in punning DVOA every single season on a yearly basis. Well,
1: yeah, we'll see if he can live up to the holding expectations of Lack because did Lack? Drop oh, right, that the... that
0: does that is important. The holding, it he, Braden's got to come through there. I will not question Edwards holding abilities that is somewhere he did come through although this past season he wasn't able to carry actually first game uh, with Corey Vedvik didn't have Locke did not have the best hold uh, on that I forget which one it was whether it was the extra point or the field goal. one of them he didn't have the best hold uh and that was kind of detrimental I, to oh the Jets God. losing <laughs> a game that knocked the whole season off the rails so can... You, you can kind of blame Locke Edwards for the entire 2019 debacle I completely forgot about Corey Fedwick until you just brought him up. Oh my I just God. had to bring it all up for Holy you. Holy shit! <laughs> what a time! I
1: can't believe a team actually traded draft picks for him like three weeks before that, uh, and then didn't keep him. That
0: that should have kept. And the some Jets away. some people wanted the Jets to do that. <laughs> ah, Jesus Christ!
1: Um, well, and really quickly before we get to the next question, I mean. Look, I mean, I know the punter's a bit of a meme, but if you were drafting an, uh, an elite punter, which clearly Brant Boyer and Joe Douglas both think he is taking him in the sixth round, I mean, that punter's not com- useless. I mean, I, I think they kind of just get shit on because it's like, if your punter's out there, that means your offense failed. And the Jets have seen way too much of their punter in recent years. But if you have an elite punter, that's an extension of pretty much both your offense and your defense, probably more so your defense. You know, field position is always one of the keys to the game um, for for coaches and, and announcers, or whatever. Field position. I mean, an elite punter does that. You know, Michael. I don't know. If, I don't think you do have the numbers on this. Where if the Jets have a drive that stalls at midfield and you have a punter who can pin a team inside their five, which is something Lack couldn't do, I would imagine that you know at, at least like sixty percent of drives that start in, inside the five, probably more, don't go anywhere, don't even get a first down because you have to run twice and then pass. Um, so that's a huge thing. You know, a guy who, if you're punting inside your own twenty, can put a team on their own twenty. It just it controls field position. You know, I think the big issue that the Jets have had would be untimely shanks from their punter. So it's it's actually a you know a big upgrade in my opinion. I'm I'm really looking forward to see seeing
0: Braden Mann, yeah, man Yeah, and that's collection. a good point you make about taking a punter uh, late in the draft just because the hit rate there is so low on every other position. Like the majority of those players are not even going to be starters. Might not even play in the league. So to take a punter, or a, or even if it's a kicker, but I think punter kind of makes more sense because right. rookie kickers can really struggle. But it makes sense to take a specialist. It's a much higher floor. You know that that guy is probably going to play for you and be starter quality. Maybe he does have a little bit of a growth curve, even though it's, uh, those guys still can as well. But uh, I think it's, it's a much higher floor than taking any other position. Obviously, right. you're sacrificing ceiling with a, a punter. Or a kicker, but at that point in the draft, to raise the floor a lot really helps. And what you said about uh, field position, is it's so important, and I think Mann has the ability to make like those special punting plays that Edwards really didn't. Uh, I think Locke didn't really mess up too much. I mean, he had some shanks, but he wasn't catastrophically bad, but he didn't have his, his rate of punts inside the five, especially kicking from around midfield, was really low, I believe the worst in the league. Also, his hang time was near the bottom of the league. Man has the ability to make those punts inside the five. That can really change the game. Last year, uh, drives, this is across the entire league, drives that a start. Drives that started inside the team's own five-yard line. Oh, you did Scored a, a touchdown only 17% of the time. Field goal only 4% of the time. So 79% of the time, they weren't scoring. When they start inside their own five. So it's it can help you so much if your punter can give you that. And just to show you how big of a difference that makes, uh, just based on the punter's uh own abilities, uh all pun all drives other than inside the five-yard line. So this is all drives uh, including that start anywhere on the field. The average touchdown rate on those that was much higher, 22% and a field goal 14%. So that's 35% scoring. So just by being able to drop a punt inside the five instead of kicking a touchback, you can drop the other team's chances of scoring by about 15%. So that's how big of a difference a punter can make. I think Braden Mann will make a lot more plays in that than Lachlan Edwards. So I thank Locke a lot for the memes and his great Australian accent. But uh, it's time to move on. That's the theme of this offseason with Joe Douglas. We're moving on. It's a new era. Is there anybody better in the
1: business than this nerd? I mean, I I completely doubted you and didn't, I was like, Oh, he doesn't definitely doesn't have these punting analytics. And within like seconds, you just whipped up. I don't even know what you just said, but it was sounded intriguing. Um, but, you know, good job there. And I hope that, that answered your question, Jet Ranger. It seems like Michael Lenny is quite happy with Braden Man, And this was actually something – I know we're kind of going off these tangents, but this is something that we talked about um, before the show, and it goes back to, to Joe Douglas drafting Braden Man, where one of the things I think I noticed from, from Douglas's draft class is in the earlier rounds where guys have higher floors – um, Joe Douglas was taken big swings, big upside guys like Mikai Becton and Denzel Mims. He wants guys that potentially could be Hall of Famers. I know those are lofty, you know, but or at least Pro Bowlers or long time, you know, potentially stars for your team. And then as the draft went on, he switched to more towards high floor guys, guys that you're going to get in the building and can contribute. You know, I think Michael P is a good example of this, where he's not a guy that I think will be the Jets' starting running back you know, in 2021 or 2022, but he's a guy that I could totally see being the next blob pal who could be on the team for five to eight years as the third down running back. And I think that was kind of Joe Douglas's MO for this draft. And I, it's part of the reason I think he had some success with Philly in his late round drafting is he's just getting guy. He's not focused on, which is I think something Mike Kagan tried to do was taking this raw player who, you know, he has these intent, you can build him up into being a star. I mean, the hit rate on that is like, Michael, you don't have these analytics. I guarantee you it's gotta be like 5% on, on those guys who, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the Derek Jones and the Jeremy Clarks of the world. Joe Douglas is looking at, okay, can I bring a guy who's obviously high character, but, you know, can just produce, can just, can just bring me anything. He doesn't need to be a star for me, but can he be a, a key depth p- uh, piece for me? You know, all, let's say you have a pick in, in each seven round or whatever. You have seven picks, or whatever. You know, my Bukagnan strategy would be kind of trying to aim for seven stars, um which is is a strategy i mean draft picks are just lottery picks or lottery tickets joe douglas was a lot smarter with the value he was getting in each round and he recognized look i can get this running back here who i know i'm very confident can be a a you know staple for this roster for 10 years with special teams being depth you know maybe even developing into a starter and braid man is a perfect example of that like you just said how many of those guys do you think selected in the sixth round are going to be starters in 10 years. Cause I would reckon that that Braden Mann has the highest percentage of all of them. I'm not saying, I mean, there will totally be guys in that, that round that are good, but I would say that Braden man was Braden man uh, who does play an important position was like the, the uh, I don't want to say the safest, but at least he brought in the guy who he uh, knew would, would contribute and, and play an important role. He made sure to get the maximum amount of value of all of his draft picks.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to what I said earlier, just, uh, it gives you a higher floor than the other picks just because the odds of hitting are so low. Uh, it makes sense to kind of bypass upside a little bit uh, to feel good about uh, giving yourself a better chance to, you know, like LaMichael Pirine, there are other running backs there that were that that had more exciting traits whether it was their long speed or their elusiveness Uh, but p ryan's just a better all-around player who was the the bell cow for the gators for a few years he's a guy who you know he can plug in and is going to do a lot of things at a decent level for you Uh, and he kind of joe douglas did for the most part he did pick james morgan Uh, for the most part did kind of go with that approach in the later rounds and it makes sense Uh, to instead of shooting for, you know, hopefully getting one star out of your four picks, which you're probably not going to get because it's so unlikely, but instead of shooting for that, uh, trying to get every player to be a piece that you can build around, even if none of them are, and no, they could still be star, but still just overall approach of being safer, realizing that it's so hard to get any kind of contribution uh, in those later rounds. Uh, So shooting for players that have a higher floor that have a, a better chance of being able to help you out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and by the way, we're on question five and I think we have like 20 total. So maybe maybe I should stop going on these side tangents, but I, I definitely agree. I mean, we can't say enough good things about the, at least Joe Douglas's approach. We'll see about the execution. Um, from at charm, Phil 341, uh, what can be done in-house to solidify the guard spots or do you think it's solid enough? Uh, and this is something that, that uh, Michael and I have talked about, I think a few podcast episodes ago, which at this point might be like three months ago. Um, where uh Larry Warford got released, and and we discussed you know maybe the Jets could bring him in because he's a very solid guard. Um, the thing that Connor Hughes from the Athletic is, is kind of pointed to is that he's not a scheme fit. Adam Gase wants athletic, uh, fast, uh, offensive linemen that he can pull and move around in traps and zones and, and counters and whatnot. Larry Warford is is more of a you know a stationary, you know, interior offensive lineman. I would argue and that he
0: also opted out anyway a few well, days yes, ago. Yes, that's
1: that's true. Um, I, I would argue that, um, Brian Winters is very similar to that. (laughs) Um, But bring in a guy like Greg Van Roten. a much
0: worse version, I've Right,
1: exactly. (laughs) So it's like pre-opt-out, you could have theoretically dropped Brian Winters, brought in Larry Warford. But um, Greg Van Roten is is a perfect example. I don't think he's going to be a long-term starter, at least I hope not, for the Jets. Well, I mean, unless he's dominant. Um, But he's exactly the type of guard that I think Adam Gase is looking for. So... You know, I'm not too worried about the guards. You know, I, I do like Alex Lewis. The more I went back and watched him, I actually, my opinion of him went up because I think he had a good start to the season, and then my opinion of him went down just kind of watching the games. And I went back to watch the the All-22 on NFL Game Pass. And I noticed a lot of, a lot of you know, maybe the times where I thought he was at fault, it was, you know, Jonathan Harrison, uh, or he was having to help out Calvin Beechum, Or, you know, uh, he, sure, he made some mistakes, but I think he's a solid guard. You know, I don't think he's going to sink the whole offensive line. Uh, and he's the only returning member. So I actually, I do think it's solid enough. I, d- I do think the, you know, uh, Alex Lewis, Greg Van Roden, and you have Cameron Clark who you drafted, who I don't think is going to be ready, but, you know, maybe he played. I mean, the Jets, I mean, had so many different combinations of offensive linemen. So there's a chance that Clark uh, gets in there. I wouldn't forget Josh Andrews. They brought him from from Indianapolis. I love the depth that he brings. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, Brian Winters can come off the bench as well. So I think the guard spot's in a good enough spot. I know I, Alex Boone is... is uh, you know, saying that he might make a comeback. But unless anybody else, unless Joe Douglas is interested in that, I know he talked to Kyle Long, so maybe he would be. But that Ryan Khalil experiment didn't go that well. Unless somebody gets released in the waiver wire, no, I'm pretty confident in, in the uh, the interior off the line. What about you, Michael?
0: Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. I think right now, uh, is this the best? Is this the guard duo that you want long-term? Absolutely not. They have to find uh, two long-term pieces there. But for right now, uh, I think, like you said, there aren't really – any any better options, Warford would have been, but didn't seem like the Jets were interested in him, and he's off the market anyway now. Uh, so I think with this duo of Lewis and Van Roen, you have what you want for this year. Uh, it could be Lewis gives you the only continuity you have in the starting lineup. And Van Roen, I think, is an average to maybe a little bit better starter, especially in pass protection, which I think is more important. Obviously, both phases do matter. Uh, but if I'm going to take one, I'd rather have well, pass protection. and you got and you got and Maul and like seven dudes, right? For so you have a you have a good so. mix of talents in both <laughs> phases. Uh, but I think the the guard duo is good uh, in terms of having uh, two two decent stop gaps. You're not looking for them to dominate. Uh, if you can get decent pass protection from those two guys, Lewis and Van Roten, uh, you should that should be enough for this year, and hopefully. Clark develops into one of your uh, develops to the point where he could take one of those guard spots over next year and uh, the other guard spot if if Clark can take over one of those uh, should be one of the top priorities next year, maybe use one of the low first rounders on it uh, attack it in free agency, or the trade market that'll be at the top of the priority list. But for this year, I think uh, this is uh, an I not ideal because I think obviously you'd rather sign Joe Tooney, if he did become available. Uh, I think they definitely would have been in on that. But the way things played out, I think they did what they had to do. Get Lewis back, sign Van Roten. You have two decent veteran stopgaps who make you better right now. Don't sacrifice your future, uh, and you can improve upon going forward.
1: Uh, yeah, very similar question by at Dave58Big. What are your expectations for this new offensive line, and how many sacks do you think they give up this year compared to last Michael, I do not have the offensive line analytics like like you, so I'll throw this over to you. At first, what are the biggest differences between last year's offensive line and this year's offensive line, and what are what is your expe- expectations for uh, for this unit?
0: Yeah, I, I think like we've talked about a lot. This offensive line, uh, the number one thing you want to see is just for them to be not awful uh, because what they did last year, the, the performance level was just it couldn't be worked around. Whether you were Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell, or Adam Gase, it was a very hard thing uh, to overcome with just how bad they are. Uh, I posted a stat. uh, By the time this uh, podcast goes up, it'll probably be yesterday, uh, but I posted a stat. Sam Darnold's average sack in 2019 came in 3.11 seconds after Hmm. the snap. That was the fourth quickest in the league, and the only three quarterbacks whose sacks came quicker than him were Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, uh, and uh, who was the other one? I forget who it was, but it was three I'll quarterbacks, and they were uh, Jared Goff, Jared Goff, Ryan Brady, and Goff. Three, those three guys are not mobile. Those guys are taking quick sacks because when the pressure comes, they're just going to take it because they can't get away. Sam Darnold's a mobile quarterback. He can get away from the pressure. So the fact that he ranks that highly and how quick his sacks are coming just goes to show you how bad it was last year. It was communication, it was guys getting just beaten so quickly that Sam Darnold was taking sacks in about three seconds. Uh, so that just goes to show you how destructive the sacks that they gave up were. And the fact that they gave up so many sacks, as it is, the third-highest sack rate in the league, 9.1%, with an elusive quarterback and Sam Darnold. And not that he's Lamar Jackson, but we know that Sam Darnold is, has the ability to break sacks and extend plays. Uh, Sam Darnold is not a sack-happy quarterback, so ranking third-highest is very bad. Uh, and it's less about the sacks and more about that they were uh they gave up the highest pressure rate in the league of any team they had the fewest yards before contact in the run game it's so all terrible you can't work around for, uh, work around that uh so obviously this the talent isn't there yet uh to where this can be an elite offensive line there's still plenty of building to be done but i think the pieces are there to where you can be in that you know low 20s range somewhere from 23 to 20 in the league maybe best case scenario they can be average uh and if they can do that i think they can put themselves uh put themselves in a position to be at least decent this year get sam darnold on the right track uh the numbers that darnold has put up when his when he's taken an average or better pressure rate have been very good he's gone seven and one in those games and but it's only happened eight times that was 26 starts that he's taken a 34% pressure rate or, or less, which is about league average. But he's gone 7-1 in those games, 16 touchdowns, 6 picks, 29 points a game. Uh, so you protect him, at least average, he'll be okay. So that's what I'm looking for. Hopefully they can be average this year in terms of all these numbers across the board.
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as sacks go, they, they gave up 52 last year, which was the fourth worst Um, And as you said, I I definitely think that the goal would be to be around average, which I think uh, is 40. So, um, I mean, yeah, obviously I'd I'd love to be in the the upper half of that if they can allow, you know, around 35 or something. Um, And you kind of alluded to it that a lot of these sacks, you know, for lack of a better term, Sam Darnold is not a sack taker for sure. He's definitely not a statue. He's definitely not a guy who um, would stay in the pocket and eat too many sacks. I mean, he did do – I mean, sometimes he – would leave the pocket a little too early and, and, you know, get some happy feet or whatever, but he generally did a good job of, of throwing it away. And other times, you know, throwing it,
0: <laughs> you know, in double coverage or, or whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a characteristic of not being a sack taker. Like, right. Not, not the, this is not comparing Donaldson, but Ryan Fitzpatrick always has a really low sack rate because he just does not take sacks and he gets the ball out. Right. And Sam Darnold's kind of like that. I'm not, not saying, again, that he's Fitzpatrick, but mentality-wise, that Darnold is aggressive in that way, that he'd rather take an aggressive shot than take a, than take a sack.
1: So right. the and fact he,
0: that you gave up so many sacks with that kind of quarterback shows you how bad they were.
1: And he's also been fairly good, that I can remember, at getting the ball off at the last second, just throwing it into the dirt or throwing it out of bounds. He's at somewhere, I'm like, yeah. oh, geez, okay, you know. Glad that wasn't a fumble or thrown, you know, closer to the defensive back. But he's he's pretty good at just getting the ball out of his hands uh, for an incompletion. Um, and I do think that with Greg Van Roten and Connor McGovern specifically though, I know we just talked about the entire interior offensive lineup being amazing in pass protection. I think those two are going to be the biggest thing uh, for, for Sam Darnold, the t- you know, McKay Becton, I do think he's going to be in a, you know, a very good tackle in the league. We'll see how his pass blocking is as, as a rookie, especially since, you know, he's not going to get a typical offseason. and Sam goes for Georgia Fant, Chuma, Doga. Um, but I think a big reason the, the, he, he took a lot of sacks last year was the, the, uh, was Jonathan Harrison, quite frankly, yeah. and then whoever was playing at right guard, Tom Compton or Brian Winchers. The integrity of the pocket, as I said in the Sam Donald deep dive podcast, was compromised way too many times. It, it was an M shaped pocket too many times with Jonathan Harrison getting bullied into his lap, and that throws off the whole timing of the play because now he can't set his feet and throw. He has to, you know, push off of him and and scramble out. I think he's going to have more of a bubble, uh, and then you know, I think Makai Beckton and George Fan or Chumu Dogo, whoever it is, on the right side. Hopefully they can hold their own, but even if guys are coming off the edge, it gives Sam Darnold more of an opportunity to step up or, or you know, split between the, the guard and tackle and run out of the pocket. Uh, I, I would argue that you know, obviously tackles are important, and Sam Darnold's blind side is going to need to be protected by Mekhi Becton. Um, but having a great interior offensive line when it comes to pass blocking, and I think the Jets have a good one uh, currently, uh, that'll definitely lead to less sacks because everything uh, – can you know be more voided than it was if you're having the pocket collapse on you all the time uh directly in your face
0: yeah that's a great point McGovern and Van Rowan over uh, Harrison and Winters uh, Winters and Compton at right guard that's going to be huge in pass protection might not be dominant in the run game and that's where long term especially at right guard because uh, I think McGovern is good enough to uh, live out or stay the length of his contract but Long term, you can get better with the run game, but those two guys in pass protection can do a really good job. And last year, you were as bad as any other team in the league with that uh, right guard center combo.
1: Yeah, I think I think Beckton. Uh, you know, there's some question marks about his passing. Uh, I mean, by the way, he has showed up in terrific shape, and, and we'll see. You know, how how his technique is looking. There's some questions about his you know pass protection technique, but his run blocking is pretty dominant. So. You know, at least Le'Veon Bell will have one guy on that offensive line where he knows he can just run behind big number 77 and, you know, have a few uh, pancakes uh, to hurdle over. i um, pretty excited to watch Makai Becton, honestly, after seeing how good a shape he is in. Um, but, yeah, I think pass protection-wise, McGovern is a great pass-blocking center, and Greg, Roden, uh, Greg Van Roten is a great, uh, or I should say, good pass-blocking guard. Um, and we'll see about George Fant, Chuma Adoga. That's a big question mark as well for the offensive line is how – you know, is that going to be another Wayne Hunter situation where, you know, maybe four of the five spots are pretty good, but if you're having one guy on that side is just consistently getting beat, I mean, that can really screw you up. I do, I do believe that one of Chuma, Doga, George Fant will be solid, be enough to, to survive at, at least better than last year with Brandon Shell and, you know, whoever else was sliding. I mean, I guess Chuma slid in there last year, but as a rookie and then Kelvin Beachum on the left side. So, uh, Overall, I expect the offensive line to be a lot better, which is, as you said, will help out Gase, will definitely help out Sam Darnold, and and also Le'Veon Bell. All right, so this concludes part one of the training camp kickoff mailbag for Cool Your Jets. You can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also find us at JetsXFactor.com. Part two will be up Sunday morning, and then part three will shortly follow on Tuesday morning. So stay tuned for more.
0: Back to throw again. Throws one over the middle. It's tipped. And it's intercepted. CJ Mosley's got it. Runs right to the 10. Five. Touchdown. away. Bradley McDougall. And he is.